0: Welcome to the Wellington-Halton Hills Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. In this mini-series, we're profiling the people running in the riding of Wellington-Halton Hills, which basically surrounds Guelph and has a very unique and different character from our political field here in the Royal City. And on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be talking to NDP candidate Diane Ballantyne. So let's set the scene in wellington halton hills which is fairly similar to its federal counterpart covering the area around guelph from puslin to center wellington and then heading east to Erin, and then back down south to the halton hills area just outside the city limits of brampton it's a lot of ground to cover so experience counts and maybe that's why progressive conservative incumbent ted arnett has the advantage here when arnett was first elected to the legislature The whole world was concerned about Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, the two halves of Germany were on the brink of reunifying, and the number one song on the charts was Mariah Carey's Vision of Love. When most of the rest of Ontario went for the NDP that year, the then-riding of Wellington went for Arnott, and 30 years later, they are still going for him. This is the uphill climb facing Diane Ballantyne, who is the NDP candidate in Wellington-Halton Hills for 2022, just as she was in 2018. In the last election, Ballantyne finished in second place and increased the share of the NDP vote in the riding by nearly 10 percent. Not too shabby, but at the same time, are not increased his share of the vote by over 7%, and secured an easy re-election win with 54% of the 58,624 of the people that turned out to vote in that election. Arnott would go on to become Speaker of the House during the last session of the legislature. Ballantyne, meanwhile, would go on to win an election as the Ward 6 Councillor on Wellington County Council. But now it is time for a rematch. And the question is, are the voters in Wellington-Halden Hills in the market for a change in representation? Populist policies, like ending the license sticker renewal fee, are pretty popular in areas like Wellington-Halden Hills, where almost everyone drives. But this is also an area hard hit by rapidly rising housing prices and traffic congestion issues. So maybe there's more of a mood for a change than people think. This is the hypothesis that Ballantyne will be testing in this campaign, and she has a pretty good resume for an NDP candidate running to help make her party the next Ontario government. Aside from her position on county council, she's also a teacher at the Centre Wellington District High School. She sits on a committee with the College of Nurses of Ontario, and she's a board member with the United Way of guelph Wellington Dufferin. She is also the co-founder of Renegade Rainbows, a group dedicated to welcoming and celebrating members of Centre Wellington's LGBTQ community. And she joins us on this edition of the Wellington-Halton Hills Politicast to talk about why she wants to try again to be the MPP for her riding, why Arnot not offers such stiff competition after 32 years, and what it will take for NDP leader Andrea Horvath to become the next Premier of Ontario. She will also talk about the issues facing Wellington-Halton Hills, how they compare with the issues facing other parts of the province, and what she thinks is the most exciting part of the NDP platform. And finally, we will discuss the pandemic from the perspective of a municipal politician, whether or not COVID-19 will be a factor in the campaign, and how she intends to make a winning impression on the campaign trail. So I caught up with Diane Ballantyne last week via Zoom. Diane Ballantyne, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: So why do you want to be the member of Provincial Parliament for Wellington-Halton Hills? The most essential question of your candidacy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think that it's really important to have a strong leader with a history of commitment to the community and working towards whether it's, um, shaping policy or developing grassroots community activism. I think that your MPP really is your advocate. That's why you're choosing them. You're choosing them to be on your side and to have your back at meetings that everybody can't attend. And so I think that my voice at the table brings experience um, both from the community uh, piece as well as understanding the system I've been working in the education system, but I've also had experience working with the um, College of Nurses of Ontario and the Ontario College of Teachers, and I'm also a Wellington County counselor. So I have this background and experience that I think is really important for this particular role.
0: There's an inference there that uh, the current MPP, Ted Arnott, has not been reflective Of the community so is is that the case you're making that perhaps Mr. Arnott is is not um is not bringing the concerns of your writing to Queens Park in the way that perhaps he should
1: what I'm saying (laughs) is that my voice will be a strong one for the residents of Wellington Halton Hills and that I will not be hampered by um, a particular position that won't enable me to speak freely and strongly to advocate for the residents of this particular writing.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was looking it up and Mr. Arnott has been the representative for for your writing in in various iterations since the 1990s. I'm not sure I have a question though, but I mean, I, there, there is a couple of things like number one is he must have some sort of appeal to the, the majority of, of the people in your riding. Um, But at the same time, you know, it, it seems a little insurmountable for a challenger and you, you probably know this too, given that you ran last time uh, in 2018, but I mean, is, are, are you worried Ted or not is, I guess, indestructible in a political sense? (laughs) Absolutely
1: not. So it's interesting, you know, that 1990, that's when the internet was invented, right? Mm -hmm. Liam Hemsworth was born in 1990. (laughs) So things have changed dramatically since then. And funny story is Ted and I started working at Queens Park at the same time. I worked for the Legislative Assembly, and then, of course, I've gone on in my career to do a variety of things um, across the province, which brings a, a, a different perspective to the table. Um, you know, when I ran last time, we had an incredibly strong showing. 25 uh, percent, Almost 25% of the vote increased the vote count by 10% um, mm-hmm. for the NDP. And what's different this time, as we talk about change and, you know, kind of jokingly from the night from 1990, but this riding has changed significantly in Mm -hmm. particular in the last four years. So we already have um, a, a variety of people moving in. We've had enormous amounts of building. And then since the pandemic, we know that there's been a lot of urban flight when with the reality that we can now work from home. So the face of the riding has changed significantly. The population of the riding has changed. Um, And we also know that there is a candidate for the new blue party as well, which is going to make a difference in the conservative vote. Mm. Um, So there's a split on that side. So there's a lot of things going on. One, you know, the representation um, has been, I'm hearing it from lots of people frustrated that the voice from our representative hasn't been as strong as as they felt that it could or should have been. And then the changing face of the riding. So I don't feel that it's insurmountable um, because of all of these different factors. So I'm here to win. And we absolutely have as good an opportunity um, as Ted has to win. And so that's, I think really important for people to understand. And not only this at this riding level, like for our campaign, but we have 40 seats in Queens Park. We're mm-hmm. the official opposition. Like we're ready to govern. We're not coming from nowhere. There is um, experienced MPPs that are ready to start governing um, from the government side of the house. So I think that that's really an important piece too.
0: That kind of leads into my next question. Um, you know, your leader, Andrea Horvath, um, this is not her first election either. Um, I, I feel uh, and I think a lot of people feel that, you know, maybe there's some still some ambivalence about her. I, I, I saw a, a leader's poll a couple of days ago. She's at like 20. No, she wasn't at 20. She's 30 something percent uh, thought she would make the best premier. Uh, so I guess what does. You know, in terms of you as, as running your own race, but also having to, you know, ride the coattails of the leader, I, I guess, what, what in your estimation does Andrea Horvath have to do to make the case that she will be a strong uh, and good premier for Ontario?
1: Well, I think that um, she brought the, the, the largest win and the most seats in the House in the last election. So I do hear what you're saying where people say, oh, well, you know, what, what about Andrea? But the fact is that is that Andrea's leadership has brought us the greatest win um, in a generation. And I think that she is bringing uh, the kind of compassion and the kind of focus on policy that Ontarians need. So Understanding that someone has an extreme amount of experience uh, in her role, both as in, you know, she started as a school board trustee and then has been in the house for a long time, an an awful lot of experience. And we're bringing a platform to the table that Ontarians need. So we know that the systems that we count on, the things that we value have either been underfunded or left broken on the ground, basically. And the pandemic has revealed that. So, the message about what it is that we are offering to Ontarians mm-hmm. and the fact that we deserve so much better, and for people to really believe that it doesn't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. Policies are choices, and we want to make much better choices to serve more Ontarians better.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into some of those issues. And, you know, starting sort of close to where you are at school. Um, how, how, I mean, what role do you think education as an issue will play in the election? I mean, we had a teacher strike almost right before the start of the pandemic. Um, and you know, it, it seemed, you know, as we went through the pandemic, education became its own issue within the pandemic in terms of how schools can open what we need to do to keep schools safe. But on its own, how do you think education is going to play in this election?
1: Well, I know that for the tens of thousands of education workers in the province, it's incredibly important because we can see what's happening in the system and the underfunding that is harming our students. And so, yes, we can talk about classroom size, but we also have to think about all of the education worker wraparound services that happen in schools that have been absolutely cut to the bone so you know the messaging out there is how important mental health care is meanwhile the social worker that we have in the in the high school where i work with 1200 students is one afternoon you know that is absolutely unacceptable and completely doesn't respect the needs that young people have so the kind of increases in investments for schools really is going to focus on Class size, of course, but also all of those other services to help make schools more of a complete community that is going to meet the changing needs that young people have. So that's really important. Do I think that overall for Ontarians that education is the most important issue? I don't. I think that they're much more cons- um, concerned about affordability. Mm. And that is in all kinds of ways. Like where mm. am I, where's my place that I'm going to call home and how do I afford a house And what's going on with um, how am I going to be able to afford groceries and gas prices? And so affordability is a really big issue. And that's a multi-headed beast to try to address. Um, And then the other major issue that is really concerning people is about our healthcare system. So that's something. And again, that's an umbrella of we think about hospitals. We think about long term care. But we also think about home care. We think about pharma care, and we think about dental services. You know, all of that under our healthcare system is really front of mind for many people now.
0: A lot of those issues you're talking about, like the affordability piece, the healthcare piece, like those aren't kind of singular sort sort of portfolios. Indeed, if you think about it, like healthcare touches like five or six different portfolios in cabinet. So when you, you know, when you say like, we're going to address healthcare, you know, that's not, I mean, that sounds great, but that's not something that uh, you can just sort of wrap up in like a one or two line, um, you know, policy pitch. Uh, It's, you know, these issues are much more complicated than I think we would like. And I think that's going to be a big issue for politicians like you.
1: That's true because, you know, a soundbite doesn't solve a problem that has been left to fester for multiple governments beforehand. And so I'm not saying that there's any kind, you can't just, you know, snap your fingers or dump a bag of money on something and think that it's going to be fixed. It's going to take time in order to fix the things that have been broken. So hiring you know, 10,000 new personal support care workers and 30,000 nurses and getting rid of Bill 124 that caps, you you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, healthcare heroes. And then during the pandemic, no, we're going to cap your wages below what the inflation rate is. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of different pieces. Home care is also a really important part of that healthcare puzzle so, that it's not just about long term care. I mean, we want to ensure that that's being brought into nonprofit and public hands. I sit on the committee um, with Wellington County Council that oversees uh, the Wellington Terrace and long term care. So, I understand the challenges that are happening there, but we also know that the outcomes for people in long term care, if they were in the municipal or nonprofit homes, were far better than in the private homes. So, that's one piece, but not everybody. Hopes to go into long term care, many right. more people would like to stay in their homes. And that whole system has been left to erode. So, beefing up that system so that you can have someone come and visit you and make sure that you're okay in your own home, we need to make sure that we're hiring many more PSWs for those
0: purposes. You're hitting on something too there that I, I the, the whole idea that, you know, these are complex issues. Um, many have been allowed to sort of fester uh, and go unaddressed for decades. Yes. Um, you know these these issues are coming to a head and and you know I, I've talked a lot about this with various politicians I talked to. People want sort of immediate solutions, but these are incredibly complex issues that could take years to sort of on un- at least if you want to do it right. I mean you could if you throw money at a problem and hire. You know, 50,000 PSWs, um, they wouldn't necessarily be the best trained and allocated in the best way. But how do you balance the like taking the time and care and data driven uh, analysis to solve these complex problems while at the same time trying to address them as quickly as possible in the way that people are kind of demanding?
1: Well, I think it's it's kind of like short term and long term. So you do need to show something concrete that's going to change people's lives in some meaningful and noticeable way in the short term and then work towards those long-term problems. So the idea of of introducing uh, provincial pharmacare, that's going to change people's lives immediately. You know, when we look at increasing the the rates for um, ODSP and Ontario Works, those are going to change people's lives immediately. And then we can start to work on where is the best way to allocate PSWs? Where is the best way to shift um, responsibility for long term care into more public and nonprofit type structures? So I think you're right that, you know, we can see that just trying to make a promise is not necessarily always going to get us the solution that we want. So I think there's that two piece approach. Let's do some things that are going to make a point immediately and then give us time to work over uh, the next few years to try to fix those other things as well. Mm -hmm. And I think being honest about that is important because I think people have become cynical that politicians just lie to get your vote Mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know, we understand that these problems are complex, but as me, as your candidate for Wellington Halton Hills, Look at the long track record of history that I have in working to try to build meaningful programs that um, are to serve the most people possible. So look at what I've been doing. Do you believe that I'm the person that's going to advocate on your behalf for this kind of long-term difficult change?
0: You did mention your other role a couple of minutes ago as a counselor on Wellington County Council. Uh, I think that there has... Again, this kind of goes into the, the the days of yore before the pandemic with this uh, push pull between municipal governments and the provincial government, provincial government taking sort of big action that doesn't necessarily take the the needs or the, um, I guess, the, the timetables of local governments into account. So, you know, from your point of view, um, have relations between municipalities and Queens Park changed in the last four years, um, and and what kind of change has that been?
1: Uh, I would say yes, um, and I would say based on the community leaders and mayors that I've been talking to, they are incredibly frustrated with the way that the current provincial government has really it. The word that I have that I have heard repeatedly is completely disrespectful in the way that there's been expectations or cuts or downloads. I mean, you think about this current provincial government, Ford announcing, and I was just at the Good Roads conference, and I saw all of the different conservative ministers, transportation, infrastructure, and that sort of thing. So they're up there (laughs) and saying, we're building the 413 and we're building the Bradford bypass. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you that the communities that the 413 is going to hit they do not want them those town councils do not want them meanwhile the puslinch town council is going well what about the Morriston bypass what about that particular infrastructure project you said that you were going to build that and now you're completely ignoring it bypassing what those local governments want and then enforcing something else and The the, the Toronto Star did a great expose on that, that, you know, it's the developer buddies, Ford's developer buddies that have that land along the Fort 13. And the research has been shown that that's not going to save commute time. And we've got a 407 that was sold off by a previous conservative government and is now very expensive to travel, but it's not being used. So the idea of spending billions on highways, first of all, philosophically, Mm. doesn't make any sense in a time of climate change. Mm-hmm. That should be being redirected into at least full day two-way go service throughout my riding, for sure. Um, and then talking about, you know, carving out pieces of the green belt, which are important carbon sinks as, appo- as, as, as well as important mental health places to be in nature, as well as ignoring municipal council wishes. So, yes, there's a long answer to say relationships with this current provincial government with municipal governments are definitely fractured.
0: And again, you're hitting on something too that I I think um, political observers might be wondering about, which is you know there have been a lot of files where the the current provincial government has um, you know kind of tore things up and rearranged things, and not necessarily to the um, the pleasure and enjoyment of people who are concerned about those files uh, you know, you, you touched on the environment, uh, the green belt, uh, then there's, you know, things like the autism file, there's, uh, long-term care, mental health, uh, you know, it, it, public transit, you know, it just, I wonder, can you, it, from, from a messaging point of view, can you, encapsulate all the faults uh, you see from the Ford government and, and sort of sell this like on the campaign trail, because it, 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 you know, they, they have, they have, they went in there and broke things, which I, I don't think is, was their slogan, but, um, or, or maybe to use Doug Ford's preferred slogan, he has gotten it done if, if gotten it done has been a sort of like a disruptive influence on um, politics as, as they used to be under the previous government. <laughs> that's, a, that's <laughs> okay. a big question that's a big question Well,
1: <laughs> so look the last few years have been really really tough
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they have exacerbated and also revealed to us the many cracks in the system so even for people who thought things were okay they're now really seeing that things are absolutely not okay but people who were living on the margins already knew that things were not okay
0: right
1: so you know the idea that somehow they've been getting things done is you just have to ask healthcare workers. You have to ask education workers. You have to ask my children are in their twenties. How are they going to get a place to live? Forget about buying a house. Where are they going to rent? That's affordable. And how are they going to have jobs that isn't just the gig economy and where are they going to get extended medical benefits? And if you're a parent with young children, where's your childcare? Where does that even exist, let alone how can you afford it? And yes, the autism file, and then the mental health file. So I don't know what they think they've been getting done, but they have not been getting things done for regular working people. Mm-hmm. And that's what our platform is about, is that we're bringing mental health care under health care because mental health is part of your health. And when you live in a riding like I live, Not only might you not be able to afford to access uh, therapy and counseling, you might not be able to access it regardless of whether you have the money or not, because there isn't enough around. So that's something that's really important. I mentioned pharmacare. It's great that at the federal level, they're going to work to do something in five years, but that's not enough. We can start our own provincial system and the climate change file and the kinds of cuts that have been made to, um, Issues that are so fundamental and are based in science are astonishing. So the Green New Democratic deal and the concept of making sure that we are building, um, you know, EV stations so that there's going to be a whole network there and supporting electric cars and making sure that working, we're working to reduce our carbon footprint, those kind of policies matter and when i was at a youth march yesterday with young people here in um in fergus and they are truly afraid of climate mm. change and what mm-hmm. their lives are going to be like by the time they're my age and there might be older people that are sort of concerned about it but we can look at the coverage that if we're not making serious changes there's going to be real repercussions for th- that they're going to have to live with.
0: i don't think we take that seriously enough i mean i I was I was watching a city council meeting uh, last fall and they were talking about uh, an issue about take, taking more direct action on climate change at the city level. And there were a lot of young people, high school aged people who call into city council to delegate um, who are, you know, talked about their own, you know, concern, their, their worry, their, their, you know, they're petrified, uh, concern about climate change. Um, and I, I I, worry we don't sort of listen to their, um, their fears enough. Oh, that's, I, that's a general comment. <laughs>
1: no, I agree. I don't think that people are considering what life is like for young people right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I graduated from high school in the late 1980s and university in the mid 1990s, and I just, you know, thought about, well, I'll just go get a job, and I could.
0: Right. And I
1: didn't really give a lot of thought, not that I didn't think about having children, but I didn't really break it down in the numbers sense about what it would cost to have children. But I'm talking to young people today who are, I don't know if I can afford to have children. And that was not something that was in my mind, like, for that generation ago. Mm-hmm. So the, the same thing is, I could work at Pizza Hut part-time and pay for my university education without any loans, And I paid for it myself. And that is not realistic for young people today. They have an awful lot of stress that that did not exist a generation ago. And I think that sometimes older voters don't know how much things have changed for young people. And that's a really important message because we need to vote in the way that is going to best serve our future. And just telling them to work harder is not the message that they need to hear. Young people care. They're far more aware of issues than we ever were. And the services and structures that we need to make sure are healthy for them are going to help them be able to launch and fully realize their lives. So making sure that we've got those kind of healthcare programs like dental and pharma, making sure that we're working in a respectful and collegial way with municipalities to develop smart communities with sensible infill that stop us from sprawl which is not good for the climate and also not good for our own food security um those are the kinds of things that we need to work towards to build for the future and so we have to figure out back to your earlier statement about these are complex problems how do we let people know that we're on it and that we want to fix it well we have to give these small not small but we have to give early, um, pro, um, what's the right word? Um, promises that can be filled quickly is what All I right. mean while All we work right. on those longer-term
0: issues. Sort of thinking about our youth and, and their concerns seems like a good answer to, the, to my next question, but uh, maybe you have a different one in mind as well. Um, I, I like to ask this of every candidate at an election, um, but is, is there an issue that you... Are concerned about that? Um, I, I this as, as you're thinking about it, you're worried that it may not come up in debate, you may not get asked about it. Like, what is what is like your kind of, I guess, um, underdog issue, if I can phrase it that way? Uh, that you you want to make sure that there is sort of a, a debate on that issue before June 2nd.
1: I think the sprawl issue is incredibly important. And because I live in a riding that is of small communities and, and agricultural land, I think because of where populations are focused in larger cities, we talk more about um, rent control, which of course is an important issue, but when you don't even have the, the rental stock in the smaller communities, And what the solutions are is, well, you just need to build more. Mm. Yes, but you don't build it on the existing farmlands that we have. So I think that that stop sprawl issue is an incredibly important one. And I think sometimes it gets lost in those urban rental house price uh, debates. So that's something that I really want to make sure because it's a multi level issue. So it is about housing. It's about affordability. It's about the climate. It's about public transportation. It's about affordability for youth. There's all of these pieces that exist in that stop sprawl idea.
0: And looking at looking at it from a different direction, I know that um, the NDP has sort of been first out of the gate with a a full platform Um, for you. You know, what's one Platform piece that you you know you want people to pay particular attention to, Um, like what what is exciting for you in the NDP platform?
1: The mental health under the OHIP system is incredibly important, and it is going to provide the kind of support that so many people in Ontario need, especially young people. I've talked to so many people that have said on they're on wait lists or. Their families didn't have money to to pay for counseling and therapy. And they watched their friends whose families were better off. They sat and felt themselves get sicker while they were waiting for the treatment that they needed. I mean, you can apply that to somebody that needs a knee replacement in the healthcare system as well. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely important. But bringing mental health care under the OHIP plan is transformational. And it is so important in long term for us to talk about mental health. And to be open about getting supports um, and the struggles that you have, because that helps create deeper relationships and stronger communities as well.
0: Maybe to wrap things up, I'll come back to a political question. Um, in terms of your campaign plan, um, you know what 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 is you know what 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 are you working towards in terms of making sure you are successful in winning this time? Maybe lessons you learned from twenty eighteen that. You know, maybe if, you know, you lean a little hard one way, you could have been more successful. Or, or, you know, in terms of your game plan, what is what will it take for you to win in 2022, do you think? So
1: we've had a running head start, which is night and day compared to the 2018 uh, campaign. So we have been working and meeting with people and meeting with groups for months now. So we have the team. We have a large group of volunteers. Um, we have lots of people donating money. And the messages that we're focused on everyday people, not large corporations and, and big corporate donors, that we are the only progressive option in Wellington-Halton Hills that has a chance to defeat the conservatives in this riding. We, I have the track record. I have the history and the voice. I have the experience in policymaking and we have got an amazing team that is going to, we're going to take this riding. we're going to flip it and we are going to bring a better, stronger, more progressive voice to Queens park for the people of Wellington Halton Hills.
0: Well, we'll leave it there and uh, say, thank you to uh, Diane Valentine. Good luck. Out there on the campaign trail and we will see what happens on june 2nd but thanks for coming on uh the podcast today
1: thank you very much for your time i appreciate it
0: and once again that was diane Ballantine. to learn more about her and her campaign you can visit their website at dianeballantyne.ca that is d-i-a-n-e-b-a-l-l-a-n-t-y-n-e.ca Election Day is June the 2nd, and stay tuned for future editions of the Wellington-Halton Hills Politicast, which will be posted here every Saturday in May as candidates become available. For the Guelph candidates, you can tune in to Open Sources Guelph every Thursday at 5 p.m. or download the podcast version of the show on Monday. And that is it for this edition of the Wellington-Halton Hills Politicast. The music for Wellington-Halton Hills Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale, The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media, at Guelph Politico on Twitter, and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me Personally, at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and send me an email at adamadonaldson A. Donaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local election news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Wellington Halton Hills Politicast for you in the very near future and until then we will see you next time